Hey, this is Courtney Duolter. I live in Golden, Colorado, and I like to run really far. Oh, really far indeed. Well, thank you, Courtney, <laughs> so much. That was, that was outstanding. You liked, I like to run very far. Well, welcome everyone back to the Fastest Known Podcast. And we have one of the fastest known ultra runners with us, Courtney DeWalter. And I asked if she'd like to introduce her, herself. And she said, sure. That's attitude. That's, Courtney, that's excellent. You just, I gave you five seconds to come up with something and you just did it perfectly. <laughs> just kept it really simple. I didn't go into like my favorite candies or best nacho toppings, but we can get into that if you'd like. <laughs> well, that came up actually in a podcast or two ago when we were talking with John Kelly. Turns out John Kelly, who just said it FKT in the Pennine way, which is later broken, and the last person to finish Barclay, um, has a spreadsheet on candy, as it turns out. So, Courtney, you, you brought it up. We have a lot to talk about, but since you brought it up, what is your favorite candy? How do you get by at these 200-mile events? I love that he has a spreadsheet for it. That's so great, and I would love to see that. Um, I'm more like a, a – I don't keep things in spreadsheets, really, so they're just cataloged in my brain. But jelly beans all year long are the greatest candy, followed by any other fruity candy like Mike and Ike's, gummy worms, gummy bears. Um, and then seasonally, my favorite candy is Conversation Hearts at Valentine's Day or Candy Corn at Halloween. Wow. You just rattled that off. You did not, you didn't have to think about it. No, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's part of my everyday life. So <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, rattling off your address. You just know that same with best candies. Well, this is why people listen to the fastest known podcast. So folks, you just heard tips from the pros. So <laughs> I hope you wrote that down. If not, you know, you can wind it back and play it back. But if you want to win the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc last year, maybe this is some advice you might want to take from Courtney. The Dara Island <laughs> Trail, the big one there. Behind the Rocks Ultra in Moab, overall first place. Tarawera, first place. So you got, uh, you, you, I can go down the list here. The Tahoe 200, overall in second. You won the female, of course. The list gets a little long. I, sh I should note <laughs> at Western States, that's that's credible. So a win at Ultra Trail Mount Fuji. We could talk for the next 30 minutes on your credentials, but you would get embarrassed. You would not like me for doing that because you by nature. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's by nature, you don't want to do that. What you want to do is what's <laughs> you just You just want to do what's next. Yeah, yeah. Just enjoy some trails and have some fun out there. Well, the one thing that didn't work out quite as expected, even though you're crushing at the time, of course, is a recent Colorado trail effort. That was a big deal. I mean, that's as, uh, you've been crushing all these races, particularly these really long races, 200, the Tahoe 200. And of course, let me back up to the, uh, Biggs Backyard Ultra where you, <laughs> You got a DNF for running 279 miles, but that's <laughs> truly your nature of a Laz, Lazarus Lake event. You're the second. Yeah, that's to a event. cool event. <laughs> well, let's let's jump right into the Colorado Trail. This is uh, you live in Golden, Colorado. 
So it's right there in your backyard. This is the first time you've tried one of the big multi-day events. Did that come up because the races were canceled? You, you thought you'd throw your head in this? Um, I mean, I've been eyeing the Colorado Trail for a few years now. It's 500 miles of single track from Durango to Denver, 90,000 feet of climbing through some amazing terrain um, here in the mountains. So it's been like uh, percolating, I guess, in my mind of, you know, how cool it would be to try 500 miles and um, how special that would be to try 500 miles in the state that I live in. And uh, this year it just happened to work out where with all of the races being canceled and plenty of time for training, it was the perfect window to, to give it a shot. Yeah. And you gave it a good shot. Uh, <laughs> holder, Brian Williams, I should note, or I actually should confirm with you, I don't think you were going for the female fastest known time. I think you were going for the overall, were you not? Yeah, I mean, we were just going to go out there and see what we could do based on uh, what we've learned in the 200 plus mile races and kind of uh, what we figured out with, you know, what my body can handle over days and days of running. So we wanted to go all in and uh, like really go for it and see what was possible and not limit ourselves to a certain, you know, day or time to finish in we just wanted to see what could happen if um we pushed all our chips in right and you did and brian yeah. brian williams the existing overall fkt holder he said he thought you were going to get it his record that is and you were on pace five days in 309 miles that's going um, from durango up toward denver and you had to call it Twin Lakes because of bronchitis. That's, uh, that was a little harsh. Yeah, I'd say it was, uh, unexpected and it was unfortunately one of those problems that comes up that you can't problem solve. One of my favorite parts of these long ultras is the problem solving that goes into it and how you have to just think on your feet and pivot and adapt and keep moving forward, however that might look. And this was a problem that um, there was no adapting or, you know, problem solving on the go. It was going to take some time in a hospital to actually get back to normal from it. So unfortunately, we called it there. It was so fun to have Brian Williams uh, record to be chasing eight days and 30 minutes is stout on a trail like that. And after seeing you know, some of those climbs and the amount of time you're at altitude. Um, yeah, it'll be fun to, to have, to have that to still chase down and maybe get more people to try for it as well. Dang. Well, just, I have to, because I obviously, I, on the Colorado trail, I kind of put it on the map and Peter and I did it. And there's such a huge commitment. There's commitment on races, but when you're five days in the planning, the logistics, and you went supported, so you had a crew there. They have to call it. I mean, you are a super positive person, extraordinarily strong emotionally as well as physically. I mean, if I may just be blunt, how disappointed were you? How did you feel about that? Um, I think so. When my crew told me at Twin Lakes, like, we need to take you to the ER right now, um, I had told them before the attempt that 
Like I 100% trusted them. And when my brain starts getting foggy in those later days, like I'm not going to argue with them if they make a judgment call. Like that's going to be the call, you know? So I think trusting your crew in something like this is really important. And, and I know they had, they have this goal in mind too. And so they were trying, you know, everything they could to keep me moving towards that finish line. But when it became, um, medically a problem, like they were nervous for my overall health and they said we are going to do that. I, I, uh, definitely asked for some justification and, uh, needed them to, you know, explain to me their reasoning behind it. But then, uh, I got in the car and it was off to the hospital we went because they knew more than I did and their brains were working better than mine was. And, uh, I also was holding on to this like glimmer of hope that we were going to show up to the ER and, um, I was going to explain to the doctors what was, what I was doing and, you know, what was happening with my body. And they were going to just kind of roll their eyes and tell me, well, of course that's happening. We can't help you. You know, like <laughs> you've been running for five days. That's just normal for this, this point in time. But, uh, when they didn't say that and they admitted me to the hospital for, you know, overnight and, I was on ox tons of oxygen and just trying to get my body back to normal. Um, then it was like pretty clear that there would be no heading back out on the trail. And it was disappointing and uh, not the way I wanted to end it. I was looking forward to cracking a beer at Waterton Canyon, you know, when I made it to Denver. But it was just part of it. It was part of the adventure when you start. 500 miles, there was no guarantee that you'd get all 500 miles. And so to have made it 309 miles and now have this like, uh, reignited spark to do it again, do it better, see it through to the finish. It's just a fun step along the path, I guess. Well, that's extremely sophisticated, professional, mature evaluation. If it was me, I would have just gone to pieces. <laughs> Congratulations. That's impressive. Oh, well, there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's uh, just control the things you can, right? So right. this was this became something that was out of my hands. And I am really thankful that my crew had their heads on and that they were paying attention and made that call because, um, yeah, in talking to the doctors at the ER and, you know, rolling through some like, what if I hadn't come in? You know, what if I had kept running? I'd, it wouldn't have ended well at the oxygen level that I was at. So I'm thankful that we called it, you know, one step before emergency. Right. That, seriously speaking, Courtney, that was a beautiful, wonderful description. You said how it's done. You know, you're so experienced. You know that, you know, two days in, you got your head down. <laughs> you're not thinking yeah. a lot. You got one going mind. So the crew, can, is a key component of that. Now, did, it was reported they had a very low of 70 oximeter rating, low oxygen saturation level. So you carried an oximeter with you? No, that was at the ER that they got that reading. Yep. So, but it had been uh, a couple of days where my lungs were just not like feeling like they were keeping up with me. Everything else was clicking just fine, but 
my breathing was just really struggling and that was elevating my heart rate. And I was kind of waiting for it all to warm up. Like I kept thinking like, okay, it's going to click over soon, you know, where like all the systems will start working together. And, and, uh, my lungs just kept getting worse. And when I would stop and try and, uh, take quick naps in the RV, I wouldn't end up sleeping because I was just sitting there wheezing and like coughing up, um, a lot of mucus. So you, you can't really like get good rest then. So it was like this kind of downward spiral of, um, yeah, worsening lung condition and then like no sleep. So deteriorating, you know, brain function basically. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, yeah, that's serious. So you had a great crew to monitor your condition because you're super tough. You would have just probably kept going until you did a face plan, which would not. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking to stop. I was, I was thinking that stopping just made my wheezing worse. So maybe I should just keep on running. <laughs> oh, I'm very thankful for a smart and, uh, like uh, attention detailed crew though. They were wonderful and um, so great to have along on this whole thing. Right. So what do you ascribe to smoke? Because uh, everyone in Colorado is acutely aware of this, but in case you're not, uh, for everyone who's not in Colorado, Colorado's on fire. There's three major forest fires right now. Interstate 70 was closed for a couple days. And I've done that before. It's way no fun. I mean, go, twice I've done that. And the first time was when Peter Backman and I set the record on the John Muir Trail. We drove out to California going, yeah, yeah, we've got this. And wow, coming across Nevada, it was smoky. The Sierras were on fire. And that, I had a nosebleed three days in. I yeah. didn't like it, and I didn't get bronchitis, but do you think your bronchitis could have been related to the smoky conditions in Colorado? I'm not sure because um, some of those fires were maybe already started, but they've really, like, blown up since since we finished. So, um, like, when I was running, I didn't ever smell smoke like I was running through really thick haze or anything, but I'm sure there was some in the air. I think also there was just a lot of dust, like the trail was really dry um, and it was hot out there. So I think all of that dusty single track was just getting kicked up and stirred around. So that was probably part of the factor. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I know like during the attempt, we weren't aware of, how smoky the air was. Gotcha. Interesting. Because smoke is, uh, hmm, hmm. <sighs> well, the, the results are not positive. They've, they've done research on this during forest fires, and they say you really have to watch out for that. Yeah. Uh, it definitely affects your results. And, of course, one of the most famous times this happened was way back in 1973 when Steve Prefontaine scheduled a race at Hayward Field. Did you hear that story? I don't think so. Well, you weren't alive yet, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> pretty much the same age as me. So he they, he was, get a load of this, one of the most famous runners in history, scheduled a race to raise money so he could go to Europe to race. So okay. times were 
different back then. You need to do that. And so people came out to see him run, but a forest fire got going. The wind shifted, and the smoke came over the campus. And he ran a 358-mile solo because he didn't want to disappoint the people who showed up. Wow. And that was the last thing he did that year. I mean, he got out there and thanked everybody and said, thanks for coming up, and then spit up some blood. Oh. So, yeah, but that was you know, the legend of pre, right? So running during a forest fire is not a good idea. Yeah, for sure. And um, now, I mean, I've been just focusing on recovering my lungs and letting them heal up. And the front range where I live uh, here in Golden is – I mean, we've just been like covered in smoky haze for the past couple of days. So um, I've been trying to, you know, stay out of it as much as possible and um, not damage or irritate my lungs any more than they've been irritated already. (laughs) But hopefully the, hopefully the rains will come soon. I, I know there's tons of communities and areas getting a lot of damage from these fires and, uh, we're looking for rain here in Colorado right now. We're <laughs> looking for rain. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. So before we leave this, uh, you just alluded to the fact that you plan to go back on the Colorado Creeks. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm not done out there. It's such a cool trail. So I hope to give it another shot. That'd probably be 2021. Or do you think you'd be able to recover enough to have another go this year? I don't know. It'll be uh, just kind of judging uh, how my healing is going and make sure I'm not, you know, doing worse damage. And then um, seeing what this forest fire stuff does and if the smoke can move out and what the fall looks like. So luckily, we don't have to make any plans right now because I live here in Colorado. So if the opportunity comes up this year, maybe we'll try again, or uh, next year we'll be looking to, to fit it in somewhere, probably. You're a 20-minute drive from the trailhead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you could wake up and, no, that wouldn't happen. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, the, I'm a 20-minute drive from the Waterton, the Denver end. Right. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm drawn to starting in Durango and running it back to Denver. So ah. it requires a little bit of planning, but I think trying it that way this first time was really cool. That's the way Brian did his record. Um, so we were definitely following in his footsteps that way, but also just doing the San Juans first, I think is uh, appealing in uh, getting through a lot of the really, really tough sections earlier on. Right. Good point. San Juans are very high. You get to four. Thousand yeah. feet almost on the Colorado Trail, which is incredibly high. Some big ups you know, back in the Wimanuchi Wilderness. Uh, I wouldn't say it levels off after that, but it does ease off a little bit after that. Yeah, I mean it doesn't get easy, but it gets easier. <laughs> I would th- I would say. <laughs> which way did you do I it? I went. Well, I started. Uh, Peter and I started in Waterton outside of Denver. Okay, just because we're lazy. That way we can just sleep in our own beds the night before and start with a good night's sleep. Yeah, yeah. We thought of that too as a definite appeal to the other direction. But it was kind of fun to start in Durango and then you're like running home the whole time. Mm -hmm. Of course, I think that if you're sort of going a little bit north to south, you're running downhill. Yeah. (laughs) But 
Yeah. Good me, point. <laughs> did it feel like all downhill for uh, you? Not after a certain point. It did not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, part an attitude. This is great. This is so. I think when people look at your results and they know your name, they say, wow, she's a badass. Pardon me. But I think that's what people would say. I think that's justified. That's our vernacular that we use, and it's, it's appropriate. But you talk, they get a sense of who you are. So I really appreciate these podcasts and listening to your voice because you're so natural. You're so bright and so enthusiastic. And I think that comes through on these podcasts listening to the conversation so thank you this is i'm really appreciating this conversation well thank you thanks for having me on absolutely so i could ask you about other races but there isn't any other races except <laughs> there could be one by uh, lazarus lake the bing's backyard ultra this october and this could still be happening yeah, that's correct. It's uh, Big's Backyard, which is the last person standing format, um, where you do a, a four-mile loop every hour until no one can do that loop anymore. And um, this year, he had it set up where there were all sorts of uh, like golden ticket races around the world at other last person standing events where the winner earned their spot into Big's. And so Biggs in Tennessee was going to be kind of the world championship last person standing event this October. And with COVID and um, tons of travel restrictions, no one from uh, out of the United States basically can get to Tennessee in October to participate in this world championship. And so they're working on figuring out kind of a... I'm not, I'm not sure that I know all of the details, but it will be kind of virtual, but each country will gather in their country and then they'll run against the other countries for this format. So all of the US runners who are in the Bigs backyard will meet in Tennessee like normal and run it there, but then virtually we'll be running against the people um, who qualified in Sweden and in, you know, wherever Canada has a team of people, I think, Australia. So I think it'll be uh, countries against each other in a sort of last person standing format. Wow. Well, here's a personal editorial comment. Obviously, everyone knows about Barkley. Barkley marathons, I think there's three movies, start to lose count. And so Gary Cantrell is famous for a.k.a. Lazarus Lake is famous for Barkley. But in my opinion, the Biggs Backyard Ultra will have a much more lasting impact. It blew up. I'm not sure if other people are aware of this, but other countries, as you just noted, in the world seized upon his idea and are emulating it, notably Sweden. I think there's like eight in Sweden alone. And so this idea of the last person standing and you don't do a real technical course, you just do something short, very easily spectated and easily counted, has totally caught on, and it's going to spread all over the world, and it's going to continue. While in comparison, Barkley, which is very famous, that hasn't really been repeated so much anywhere else. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I think Laz just does a really great job of coming up with 
events that test people and help them, you know, push themselves farther than they think and harder than they think. So Barkley is a great example of that in, you know, navigation and being out in this gnarly terrain. And um, I've never done it, but, you know, I've seen all the movies and heard all the legends about how hard it is. And then Big's Backyard or this last person standing format is um, perfect for, I think, surprising yourself with, you know, you always can do a little bit more than you think. So some people will show up hoping to do their first 50 miles and they end up running 70 or 100 miles and, you know, blowing their own mind of, you know, I had no idea I could do that. But when you break it down into just four miles per hour, all you have to do is another lap, another hour and keep on going like that. It's it's pretty amazing what humans are capable of. And I think uh, Laz coming up with these crazy ideas is just a, a perfect example of finding ways to push ourselves like that. Right. And I think this is his best idea, even though Barkley is still far more infamous or famous. And I, as I noted a minute ago, in 2018, you did 279 miles, which earned you a DNF. <laughs> so I have to. <laughs> I mean, don't you have to laugh about that? Because oh, for sure. that is the second farthest anyone ever gone in the history of Big's Backyard Ultra events. And obviously, the fat furthest any female has gone, but the furthest anyone has gone happened to be at the same time. So he did one more lap than you did. So that was, that was the 2018 was the most notable event ever. Yeah, that was cool. That was Johan Steen, who's um, an amazing person from Sweden, an amazing athlete and human. And he, um, so how it works is when you're down to two people, the person who ends up winning only has to do, only gets to do one more lap than whoever drops out. So Johan didn't have the option. Like once I stopped at 279 miles, he just did one more lap to secure the victory and then the race is over. And so um, I actually shorted him of finding out his potential because I dropped out first and his race was then determined where like he didn't get to see, you know, how far could he actually go um, how much more did he have left in him? And the cool part about that is that it means it takes two people to tango and to like push each other and keep the game going to see what's possible. And I think that's so unique about the format is, you know, you need each other. You need to lift each other up in order to be your best self. And that's pretty cool. That's brilliant, Courtney. That's right. He sense I mean, he maybe could have gone further. But that's true all over the world. So maybe someone else could have. Maybe all over the world there could have been different performances. But unless there's another person to dance with, you, you can't do it. Exactly. Wow. So it's like a team a team sport that ends up with only one finisher, one winner in the end. But you all need each other to to keep rising it up and to keep it going. Wow, thank you for that description. And I like uh, Laz's description as well. <laughs> so I keep laughing at this. It's just so, it's so dramatic to me. He said, 
people don't quit when they can't go any further. They quit when they don't think they can win. Yeah. So it's a head game. <laughs> Total head game. Yeah. <laughs> and so I mean, you could be out there, you know, throwing up and crying your eyes out, but then when you come in, you know, with everyone else, you kind of want to look pretty together, don't you? You kind of want to put a smile on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, some people play the head games a little bit more than others. I I think uh, some, you know, really ham it up and um, are extra perky at the start line and others, you know, just take care of business and, and keep uh, showing up to the line. But it's, it's whatever keeps you going, you know? So um, if, if like pretending to feel great helps you actually feel great, then that's perfect. Gotcha. And I, I, I presume at that level, the head game is going to work to a certain point. It's going to come down to who really has it. Because at a different level, you might be able to psych out your opponent and they might think, oh, they're too strong. I can't win. I just might as well drop out now. But at that level, everyone is extremely strong emotionally and mentally. So either have it or you don't probably. Yeah, I think everyone shows up to it thinking they can win it. I think you have to. That's that's how you keep showing up on day you know, two to do another four-mile loop, day three to do another four-mile loop. But I don't know. I'm not an expert. I've I've only DNF'd it. So I think uh, I'm I'm excited to try that format some more and to you know figure it out a little bit better in in what the mental game looks like and and then how to stay just physically fresh with those four miles an hour and and what you can do in between laps to to optimize your time. Right. One of the tricks is definitely that sleep isn't just when you want to sleep. I mean, you need to get this four mile lap done and then you have whatever time left over. But unlike um, in my 200 mile efforts where once I get tired, I just lay down on the trail and I, you know, I take a quick nap. You don't have the flexibility in, in this format where you can just do that whenever you want. So uh, it's a cool game and it's a cool race to, you know, figure out how to do it better. Wow. Indeed. So, what, like you said, it's uh, four, a little more than four miles in one hour. Yep. And so you have a little bit of time. So you can always change your size, eat and drink. But sleep in that time, that's very problematic. So how would you, do you manage sleep? Well, I didn't manage it very well in the, in the one time that I tried this race. Um, I mean, I was trying my best to, to fall asleep quickly when I would get back to the camp area after my lap, but I would have, anywhere from uh, 10 to 15 minutes usually. Um, so you've got to be able to like conk out pretty quickly and then, you know, wake up and get moving and get back out there because when he blows his whistles at the top of every hour to start again, if you miss the start, you're out. So you can't be like, you know, still tying your shoe and scrambling out of your tent and, running to the start line. If he has signaled for everyone to go and you weren't in the starting corral, you're eliminated from the race. Um, wow. So, so <clears throat> just tying your shoe, you're out. Well, yeah, there's a, he like paints this uh, spray paint box on the ground right at the start line area. And 
when he um, starts the next loop, if you're not in that spray painted box, then you're disqualified. So it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, there's been people, I think, in years who they sleep through the whistles or the bells and uh, they sometimes there's been a runner who, you know, is sprinting in to make it back before the whistles start their four mile loop. And then they dive into the spray painted box and, you know, get in it before the whistle and then start their next lap right away. It's like kind of intense at some moments, but um, it's cool. It just, it's, you know, makes the game have a little more structure and adds an element to the game of, you know, you can't mess up in those few minutes of the starting hour because if you miss it and you're, you know, just in the porta potty or whatever, you miss it. Like there's no excuses. Wow. It takes a certain mentality, I believe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It becomes sort of like, a, what is it, Pavlov's dog or whatever, because there's like three minutes to the hour, he blows a whistle. Two minutes to the hour, he blows a whistle. One minute, he blows a whistle. So like, you're just living for these whistles. And then on the hour, he rings this bell, and then you just automatically start running out of this box. So you become like programmed to, you know, just listen for the whistles, run at the bell. Listen for the whistles, run at the bell. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> wow. wow, that is amazing. And they have spread all over the world. And we also should note that the year after you, 2018, last year, Maggie Guterrell won it outright. Yeah, so that's, amazing. Yeah, so we have to mention that. And it will be happening, probably will be. It's, currently, it is happening this October, so people can stay tuned. How do they follow that? On Instagram? Or is there a website where they follow this? They have a great Facebook page, I know, where he does all of his updates during the race. Facebook. Um, yeah. But, <coughs> sorry, I would say just stay tuned as uh, I think they're figuring out some of the details of the format with um, the travel restrictions. So. We'll see what it ends up looking like. Gotcha. Thank you. Well, related to this, I have to ask someone like you, have you ever thought of entering Parkland? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it would be such a cool challenge. I have not entered Barkley yet, um, but I hope to in the next few years, you know, figure out how to apply and uh, start doing the work to learn how to, you know, do all the orienteering, the map reading stuff. and see if I can uh, go out there and test myself. Right. It would be interesting. It would be interesting. Because, <laughs> uh, Gary supposedly said, I don't know if he actually said this, but he supposedly said he did not think a woman could finish, which, of course, is, you know, <laughs> throwing down the gauntlet to many people. <laughs> yeah. Again, don't quote me because I'm not sure if he did say that, but supposedly he did. And of course, that'll get a few people going for sure. Uh, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, John Kelly was the last person to finish, and that was a few years ago. So, yeah, it's, it's, they've had a few years of zero finishers now. Yeah. Yeah. Some really wacky weather, too. So, I think w weather is a major factor in that, um, in people just getting the laps done with enough time to do another. Right. Right. Well, Courtney, you gave us some tips early on about proper candy consumption. 
So would it be fair to say that on these endurance events, you're going with carbohydrates? You're not, doesn't sound to me like you're on ketosis diet, you know, the, anything of that nature. Would that be a fair diet, race strategy thing to uh, suggest? That would be fair. Yeah. I, uh, during races, I primarily rely on tailwind, honey stinger, and then mashed potatoes. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. So you skip, mostly skip the protein and the fat and go with the carbohydrate. Mashed potatoes are going to have some butter probably and milk and salt, but mainly it's the carbohydrate. Yep. Mainly carbohydrates. And uh, the fast burning, like quick sugars, and then the slow burning complex ones. Great. Well, that's not that anyone cares, but that's what I do also. So I appreciate this. <laughs> and uh, you are so, you get, you, you are so successful. What else would you say to anyone else? So here's a per you are a person who's not. You're on social media, but you're not this big social media presence, you know. You're not blabbing all the time. You're there. You're contributing. <laughs> That's not what you do. You run. You race. You throw down. You do really well. You have fun. But if you were to say something or a few things, what would you like to say? And this could be anything. This could be training tips, racing advice, or go out there and do yoga instead. Uh, whatever you want to say that you have never said you think people should hear oh man that's like a lot of pressure <laughs> you can answer so you know the, the, the whistle is just sounded the bell is going to sound yeah <laughs> no i mean i think i think running is so cool and it's such a cool way to explore and um you know to be able to spend time with people or with ourselves or um just with our thoughts so i think uh it's been a really amazing like part of my life since I've been really young. And um, one of the biggest things that I just keep in mind always is how fun it is and that it, this is a choice. You know, we get to live our lives however we want and um, make choices to do or not do things. So I'm choosing every day to to run and do this and explore these long distances because I love it. And keeping that perspective, you know, makes it easy to just be out there having a blast on the trails because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a choice that I get to make and I get to, you know, choose to suffer through 309 miles if I want to. So I feel very lucky for that. That's a wonderful bit of advice in that it's attitude, isn't it? You're, you're, you're as Joseph Campbell famously said, you're following your bliss. You're enjoying every moment. And scientifically, if I may offer this, that has been demonstrated to improve performance, right? If you talk to Eliad Kipchoge, you know, an insane marathoner, right? This guy is smiling, and he's literally smiling when he's running this, you know, two-minute marathons. And science says that actually improves performance. You have a lower perceived effort. And so I think your attitude is, is wonderful and is instructional. Oh, thank you. That's cool that he does it as well. I've, I've seen some of those studies, um, and I think that's pretty awesome that it's all linked like that. Our bodies and our brains are amazing, and that's definitely a factor in it. 
I think they're connected. And some would say they're not connected. They're the same thing, the mind, body. And one study notes that if you physically smile, literally make your mouth turn up at the corners, you will feel happier. That's cool. Yeah. It's a Science is cool. <laughs> I think it is. I believe it. Pardon me. I think <laughs> age of the pandemic, I will listen to a scientist before I will listen to a politician. Pardon me. Editorial <laughs> comment. I hope everyone else uh, does the same thing. But yeah, so it's uh, it's very well connected. So your attitude you express has been demonstrated. You make choices and you have gratitude. And that, I think, contributes a enzymatic, a hormonal feedback loop that literally improves your health and your performance. That's cool. Let's all just keep smiling then, huh? I think that's a good suggestion and that note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm smiling right now. It's working for me. I feel great. <laughs> working already, Courtney. Thank you. I look forward to staying in touch and uh, Keep in touch with fastestknowntime.com and we look forward to see what else we may choose to do. Yeah, thank you so much.